Coming to you live from the Cross Country Mortgage Campus in Berea, Ohio, this is Cleveland Browns Daily, brought to you by BallyBet, coming soon to Ohio on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Here are your hosts, Bo Bishop and Nathan Zagura. Good afternoon and welcome into Cleveland Browns Daily, brought to you by BallyBet, coming soon to Ohio. Nathan Zagura, Jason Gibbs on this glorious first Friday. Bo Bishop, headed to the Magic Kingdom, baby. Oh, man, what a treat. I don't know. I don't think he's there yet. I think it's going to be a real treat for him, though. We sure he's going yeah he's gonna do it right I'm not I'm not worried about him yeah at all I'm not worried about him whatsoever I think he's gonna be just just fine so it'll be me and Gibbe with you here today on the program for the next two hours we're gonna go around the league we're gonna talk about obviously some of the huge sports stories of the day at 1:30 the senior analyst for footballoutsiders.com and New York Times sports contributor Mike Tanier will join the program be the Twisted T hotline of course and two o'clock hour we will go break down the cornerbacks a room that you got all three of your starters back but you have questions about depth there and what does this look like we really have three outside corners we'll dive into that a little bit later uh, from cbssports.com 215 will rank all of the starters in the eagles chiefs matchup my guess i haven't looked at it Gibbe. my guess is that the eagles will have seven of the top 10 spots that's my i'm just throwing that out there right now i think mahomes kelsey and chris jones will be in the top 10 i think every other person in the top 10 will be an eagle unless they sneak like a creed humphrey in there but i think they will tell you you're wrong i think they will have seven of the top 10 i would tell you you're incorrect and i won't go any further than that all right well i I mean those three should be in there i can't think of anybody else who should be right who should be in there except like i said creed humphrey maybe they sneak him in there uh and then that's it for uh today's program so oh and then omar ruiz i'm sorry joins the program 230 uh he is embedded with the eagles so that is going to be uh, a lot of fun talking to a good friend of the program omar ruiz but gibbe we start exactly where you would want to start a program singing the praises of lebron james who last night topped kareem abdul jabbar who was in attendance and came in and, and passed the ball to it, like handed it, passed the torch to him. And what was actually a really cool moment, I thought, uh, to watch that happen. And I actually did tune in in the wee, the late night and, and watched it and saw him hit that little floater to his left. You knew he wanted to do it, I think, with the, with the skyhook. He was practicing those in the warm-ups, which you saw uh, not very successfully. But he, uh, he got it done. And cool and just amazing to see that you know, how easy it was. He needed, what, 35, 36, I think it was, to break the record? Yeah. Got that you, pretty easily. You knew he was going oh, to God. get headband. Yeah, he like, had There was all. no, uh, unless he really just was ice cold from the field, he was getting his points last night. And he was not. 13 of 20. It's not like he overshot. 13 of 20 from the floor, 4 of 6 from 3. So, I mean, he really pretty much did it all efficiently i mean that's a very efficient day 65 percent from the floor 67 percent from three and he was good at the line as well um just kind of a cool moment he gets it done with 10.9 seconds in the third left in the third quarter they kind of just stopped the game it was cool um did you watch it gibbe did he seek out highlights this morning i know you're not the biggest lebron james guy but what to me this is an unbelievable testament to his ability to not only be dominant, not only to score the basketball, but he also played the game the right way, very much distributed the ball, but also his longevity. I mean, the guy doesn't miss games and hasn't forever. 
Well, and I, I think that's what Brian Windhorst said this morning on ESPN uh, on Get Up. Like, there's a seven-year stretch for Michael Jordan that if you want to make the argument for him being the greatest of all time, there's a seven-year stretch that can define that uh, with him. Yeah. And in terms of greatness, in terms of literally every facet of the game, you know, but he said there's no one, no one, that has had the run and the length of a run that LeBron James has had. Like yeah. I, 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 I will, I, I will give him his props. Uh, I will, you know, congratulations. It is, it is a fantastic feat. I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not here to poo-poo on that because the, the man earned every one of those points. Wish it been a few more in the Cav, in Cavalier uniform. He brought you a title, Gibbe. I wish it could have been a few more. Maybe it would have been nice to have him do it in a Cavalier uniform, but I, I under, you still understand greatness, and the, it was a great moment. I, I always, when a when a crazy record is broken, and the person is still alive whose record is being broken, I, I just wonder what goes on really deep down in their minds. Like, do you really think Kareem wanted to be there last night? Kareem's I mean, a unique guy, as we all know. And that, so yeah, I'm not that's sure. a wild card. I'm not sure, but I, I look. You know, you're watching someone break one of the only records that maybe you still have. Yeah, and something that no one thought could ever be passed. Like if Michael Jordan couldn't do it, then how is someone else going to do it? Well, someone else did it. Yep. And, and being there last night, and you, you know, everybody's looking at him. But then they're looking at you the closer it gets. And when it happens, you have to go out and do something. I'm not sure if I'd want to be there. He handled it with great grace. And listen, it's pretty cool that he was alive. He was able to be there. Gracious of him to to do it. I remember being at his his retirement tour uh, when he played the Warriors and they gave him a boat, said Captain Skyhook on it. I feel like we did a rocking chair and some other things. I'm almost positive I was there for that. Yeah. It's cool, but the fact that he's able to do it, and you think about it, the scoring leaders since 1966 was Wilt Chamberlain for 18 years, then Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for 39 years, and now it'll be LeBron, and who knows if if that will ever be broken because he's still going. Like He's going to put some significant distance between himself and Kareem, I think, when it's all said and done. That's what's amazing is that he's still playing at this level, and like I said, he got 30 pretty easily last night and didn't force it. It wasn't like, you know, Kobe's last game where he had what, like 60. Yeah. But he shot it like every single time. Ridiculous amount of times. Yeah. And he was awesome. But I think it's really a really remarkable accomplishment to LeBron and and certainly kudos. I did see someone tweet out and, and it, and it's interesting what Kareem's numbers would have looked like had he not been forced to go to college. Sure, yeah. I mean, if he would have come out, is this record even attainable? Right. But, but or, or does this, Was it or, another four years? Yeah, or does Kareem's career end four years earlier? I, you know, you, you never know. Correct. But I, I imagine I, he I mean, was it, Look, it, it was a yeah. great night, and congratulations to him. And um, I think it's one of the only positives Laker fans have going on right now. Because if, if I'm correct uh, – I mean, he's been playing for almost 20 years. He's 38 years old. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Yeah. 
But, like, if I look at the NBA standings right now, I think the trade deadline's tomorrow, too, by the way. For the NBA? Yeah. Could should give us some fun stuff to talk about. There's always yeah. some, some I mean, right now the Lakers aren't even in the playoffs. No, they're 25 they lost. And they lost the game Yeah, the Thunder like, at home. Outside of this moment, this might be the only positive moment that Laker fans have had to celebrate all year. Well, whoever wrote that Russell Westbrook song, that guy deserves it. Kudos. Did you hear that? <laughs> I did. It's great. <laughs> Phenomenal. Good stuff coming out of there. But congrats to LeBron, obviously. just it, it is really a remarkable feat. So I want to talk about something that's come out after that and all the various pictures you've seen of the moment and of him hitting the shot. 99% of the people are watching it through their phones. They're not even watching it with their own eyes. They're watching it through their phones. Look at LeBron's kids. Did the same thing. There's the two boys that Just are... be good at like, so you can watch it, but also record it. But, like, you got to be in the moment. What are you going to do with that? Nothing. Nothing. People will be like, oh, so I it... was there. It's the proof that you were there. But there are going to be a million of those videos on the internet. It, there's highlights everywhere. Like, I don't know. The one person who did not have a phone out was Phil Knight, who sat there and was just, like, locked in. And I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, it, it was amazing. They had they had a side by side comparison. Jordan, the Jordan shot. I was going to yep. say there. Yep. Obviously, no no cell no phones cell at phones. that time. But uh, yeah, last night it was all cell, like, and I don't I I I would not want to have my cell phone. I'd have my cell phone in my hand to take some pictures after it happens. Right, or at but least like, like when he's talking and. Kareem. But if he's going down the court, like, and I'm lucky enough to be in attendance and be in the lower bowl, I'm watching that. Yeah, that picture really is. It's it's kind of incredible to see. I don't picture. know if that's a good thing for this for society. Well, you bet you know we're. I'm now officially get off my lawn. Yeah, you're get off your lawn, guy. We're headed down a, a strange <laughs> path anyway. Yeah. All right, from one king to the another, we're sending our thoughts and prayers to our great friend of the show, Jerry the King Lawler. Um, who reportedly suffered a stroke uh, and has undergone surgeries, recovering at a Florida hospital. Um, JR, Jim Ross, had said he had talked to him. I know our equipment manager of the year, Brad Mellon, had talked uh, to his girl, his, and uh, that it sounds like he's going to be okay, but obviously very scary and still very much uh, on the road to recovery there. But, I mean, King was here, what, a couple months ago? Uh, I want to say it was opening the home opener Was it the, against oh, so, the – Against the Jets. Oh goodness! Sorry. So the king, yeah, but but yeah. he was here. Love the king. Always so gracious. Always so such a kind guy. When Brad Mel was here, he saw, showed off the hat that he got from the king as a Christmas gift, and just uh, a, a wonderful person. So I hope that obviously he is okay. Um, they suffered. It was in his home in Fort Myers, Florida, on Monday. Oh, right. and, and the 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 biggest thing with with any stroke is getting to it fast. Yep. and getting treatment fast. Like if you're having symptoms, don't question it. Just go and get it looked at. Yep, yep. So, and it sounds like that was indeed the case, which would be very good news. It would be wonderful news, and obviously, yeah. our, our thoughts are certainly uh, with the king there. Um, for the Browns, uh, a lot of talk centering around Jed Wills. The fifth-year option totals for 2020 first-round picks have been distributed to teams. Deadline to pick up the fifth-year option is the week after the draft, so still plenty of time there. Wills would be in line to make around $14 million for 2024 if the Browns pick up the option. Uh, I mean, to me, it would be a massive upset if they did not pick up the option. I expect that they will pick up that option on Jed Wills. And, and, and you've got two years to kind of get Jed Wills to the point where he says, you know what, I, I do want to be great. And he is willing to make the commitment to all that it would take 
from a lifestyle of preparation perspective to be the dominant left tackle that he could be. I mean, the Hoff will tell you, and, and speaking of the Hoff, everybody knock on wood. Tomorrow we'll hopefully get some good news that he will get a knock at the door and be told that he's in the Hall of Fame. And quite frankly, if he doesn't, I'd consider it to be a sham. Uh, I would boycott the Hall of Fame, but I won't have to do that. I feel pretty confident that it will be just fine. But he's often said Jed Wills is significantly more talented than he was. And so it's going to be about harnessing that talent and getting Jed Wills back to being, you know, an elite left tackle or get him to being an elite left tackle. And so far we, you know, it's been up and down. It's been inconsistent in his first three years. Rookie year was probably his best year, honestly. Yeah. I, I mean, I think at the end of the day, <clears throat> this is this is a job. And this is – there there is a large commitment involved with it. And, you know, sometimes it, it takes guys a few years to figure out all that is required, and that's all all that's demanded. And he he has he's put up numbers. He's been good. I, I think he can be great. Give I'd like you to define put up numbers for an offensive tackle. I'm curious. I, I'm sure the PFF numbers. <laughs> I'll go to the PFF uh, scale. <laughs> I'll ask you for those. That was good. I don't yeah, have. Them. I, like I don't that. have. Right. You want no, you want to avoid numbers would be what the well you don't you, yeah, yeah you don't. You don't want to be the guy giving up the uh, yeah. the sacks. No, I but like that. Give it. That's good. I, I think that yeah, you got to put in the work, and you can be great. You can Absolutely. really be great. And Absolutely. That's. I, I just I, I definitely want to see more from him. I think all, we all do, and I think Andrew Barry would want to as well. The idea that you could have Jed Wills and Conklin together for you know a, a good stretch here is obviously very appealing to the Browns, and and Jed Wills is you know it's been three years. This will be the fourth year of that duo. Uh, and we need it's time for Jed Wills to really kind of step up and take his game to the next level. Now, I want to make sure we have this in here. Okay, good. We do. And around the league. We'll get to that. That was the other thing I want to talk to you about. The darkness. Oh, what a, what a strange boy, bird, that the guy. The first thing I saw this morning, I walked in. I said, Connor, before you even write in LeBron, why do we, we go have, ahead and put that in? Do we have Mac, the sound for McAfee, I or do we just have, have the sound. We just have the we quote. Just have okay. the quote. Right. Well, we'll read it. But that was a very strange interview. And McAfee oh, was boy. even kind of like, what is going what on? What are you talking about, dude? You're kind of surprising me right now. Uh, we'll get to that when we come back. But, Browns fans, it's the final day to vote for Nick Chubb as the FedEx Ground Player of the Year. Now through midnight, head to NFL.com slash FedEx. That's the NFL's official Twitter handle or the NFL mobile app today to cast your vote. The 2022 FedEx Air and Ground NFL Players of the Year will be announced tomorrow during NFL Honors. And, and it feels like we're going to need like a real big run here at the end. Game. Come on. Like, step up here. We like, put Peyton we, Hillis on the cover of Madden. There, there's no reason. By the way, Peyton Hillis, hero. Glad that he is doing well. Yeah. Also. All right. When we come back, we're going to go around the league. Nathan Zagura, Gibbe, Cleveland Browns Daily, brought to you by Ballybet, coming soon to Ohio. Cleveland Browns Daily brought to you by BallyBet. Coming soon to Ohio on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Welcome back to Cleveland Browns Daily brought to you by BallyBet. Coming soon to Ohio. 
For a team of injury lawyers dedicated to every client every day, call 1-800-ELK-OHIO. Elk and Elk is a proud partner of the Cleveland Browns. Nathan's Gurr, Jason Gibbs with you right now for the rest of the program. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, we have senior analyst for FootballOutsiders.com and New York Times sports contributor Mike Tanier joining the program to talk Super Bowl 57. Some big offseason stories in the NFL, but there are always big stories in the NFL. And we'll start with Aaron Rodgers who says he will contemplate his football future by spending four nights in complete darkness during his appearance. Yesterday on the Pat McAfee show, he said, quote, there's a two-way slot. They'll drop in some food for you, but it's isolation and it's darkness, no music, nothing. It stimulates DMT, so there can be some hallucinations in there, but just kind of sitting in silence, which most of us rarely do. We rarely even turn our phone off or put the blinds down to sleep in darkness and he said at that point he will make his decision on his nfl future we talked about how he's being weird saying you know i'm not playing for the niners they're telling me at the at&t pebble beach they want me to play for the raiders uh he did say he will not be doing ayahuasca which he credited for the greatest season of his career i don't know how he could say this was the greatest season of his career um he said that other drugs may be dabbled with in his isolation period here um McAfee was just kind of surprised, I think, by the whole thing. He's like, you don't know what you're doing. I'm kind of surprised about that, and this is what you're going to do. It, 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 I don't think it's surprising that he doesn't know what he's doing yet. It's how he's going about coming to his decision that just befuddles you. Yeah. <laughs> leaves you going, you're going to do what? Yeah. The last thing I want to do is hang out and isolate. Like, if you were going to do that for, like, 24 hours just to like do a, a mental cleanse. Okay, great. But like four days in total darkness where they just slide you food. Like, are you a prisoner? Different strokes for different folks. He's obviously a unique guy. Yeah. I think the question an understatement. For, for the Green Bay Packers now is, is the juice worth the squeeze at this point with Aaron Rodgers? And, you know, he's kind of, in the media, he kind of bashes you a little bit. He certainly doesn't make it seem like he is, you know, all in with you and what you're doing. I mean, his great he is great. We all know that. He's an, he's an excellent player, but are his best days behind him? That we don't know. No, I, I still think he could play at a high level. I mean, look at the weapons he didn't have last year. So, before we go down yeah, there. Right? Four-time MVP. Yep. Obviously. Uh, he did not make the Pro Bowl this season. He threw, uh, completed 64% of his passes, which was the lowest since 2019. 3,695 yards, the lowest since 2017. He's not throwing anybody. 26 touchdowns, the lowest since 2019. 12 interceptions were the most that he has thrown since 2010. Um, his yards per attempt were 6.8, which was the lowest since 2015, and also the second lowest of his career. Um, his quarterback rating was 91.1, which was the lowest of his entire career. Uh, his QBR was 39.3, the lowest of his career. Um, so, obviously, yeah, he struggled a little bit this past season. Um, and he just seems to be... He seems to be so challenging to work with, I would say, if you were the Green Bay Packers. Maybe that's not the case behind the scenes, but it sure feels that way, and it sure appears from the outside that that's the case. Yep. And, and I, we talked about it yesterday. I mean, is the fan base up there in Green Bay getting tired of this? 
Like yes. it's, it, it, it's becoming tiresome. Yep. The Hoffa said so. Yeah, no doubt. Um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing. And, and, you know, do they say, all right, fine, we'll send you somewhere and let's get a uh, Jordan love. And, and we're going to go to the Jordan love here. We drafted him. Let's, let's see if he can play. Uh, in other quarterback news, the Raiders have granted Derek Carr permission to visit with the Saints at their facility today, according to ESPN's Jeremy Fowler. I mean, you could take the meeting and maybe set something up for once the deadline passes Yep. on your contract. Now, yep. here's the deal. Supposedly, supposedly, the trade compensation is no longer believed to be an issue between the teams. The sides have agree- agreed to that part of this deal, according to the Las Vegas Review Journal. The Raiders have prevented Carr from speaking with teams that had not agreed on trade terms. This part of the process being checked off puts the ball in the Carr's court. Uh, the guarantee vests in eight days. The Raiders will allow their outgoing quarterback to meet with the team ahead of that date. He is going, as we said, to the Saints on Wednesday per Ian Rappaport. Uh, the buzz has started to build for them. Apparently, New Orleans has been looking at Carr for a while, They've, and Carr is doing his due diligence on them. Uh, the team has Pete Carmichael, the offensive coordinator. Um, a trade will require the Saints to pick up the $40 million guarantee. While Mickey Loomis has earned justified praise for his cap navigation, it would be a new challenge for him. Um, the Saints, per usual, rank the bottom of the league for cap space. His abilities here should not be doubted, but it will be far north of Drew Brees' best deals ever. They'll renegotiate a new deal, obviously. The meeting would be a reunion as well. Dennis Allen was the Raiders head coach when the team drafted Carr in the 2014 second round. Uh, the team fired Allen early that season, but the Raiders rolled with their rookie quarterback. Um, Allen and then GM Reggie McKenzie gave the Raiders longest turn quarterback in franchise history. Um, so he is – there's buzz at the Senior Bowl, apparently, more about it. But So we'll see what happens. There's buzz, but again, if I'm New Orleans, why not just wait a week? <laughs> well – he could he'd get cut i think Carr probably feels like maybe he gets a better deal by doing a trade i don't know it's a curious thing if i'm Derek Carr, i'm not doing the raiders any favors what whatsoever I mean. if, no, no favors at all yeah, like if yeah. i'm Carr, i'm having a conversation with the saints and if there's mutual interest like don't give up the assets we right, need i want the assets. if i'm coming yeah we're i want need those assets. assets if i'm Carr, i want you to keep right keep the assets yeah. it's a it's a very interesting situation and and if he gets traded, I imagine the compensation has to be pretty low. Otherwise, why would he even think about it? Like, why would he even pay attention to it? Yeah. You know, why would he even entertain it? And he would just say, no, too bad. I'm going to go be a free agent. If he's renegotiating his contract with the Saints, he could say, this is the contract I want, whether you trade for me or in free agency. But if, if we agree, why wouldn't you just not trade for me? They'll cut me. And that's that. Yeah. So, um, and the deadline's soon, right? It's like eight days. I thought it was Super Bowl. Uh, Is it Super Bowl Monday after? Well, you looked that it's up. Two days after the Super Bowl, I believe. It's two days, the eight days right after Super Bowl. Uh, this from the Pat McAfee show, eighteen minutes ago. Ian Rappaport. I do not think Kyler Murray will be ready to start the season, which probably figured as much. My guess is he won't be ready until at least mid-season. Wonder if that's hampering the head coach search. Well, according to Terry Bradshaw, who sat down and did an interview um, with somebody from Newsday, he said that he spoke to Sean Payton, who was Terry Bradshaw's colleague, obviously at Fox, and said that he would not even think about the Arizona deal because he did not want to work with Kyler Murray, and that he didn't really want Russ, but he went to Denver in spite of Russell Wilson. 
And you heard already, I'm saying yeah, all this nonsense that was happening last year is not happening anymore. So I think this will be a, a little bit of a wake-up call for uh, for Russell Wilson, and perhaps it'll help bring out the best of him. Obviously, Sean Payton's got a pretty darn good track record there. Uh, some notes from uh, the Titans have promoted passing game coordinator Tim Kelly to be their new offensive coordinator, the team announced yesterday. Uh, former Texans offensive coordinator known for helping Deshaun Watson develop, and also Colts owner Jim Ursay revealed on Twitter yesterday, I love this guy, <laughs> That the final decision on the team's next head coach hiring is expected in the coming days. That has been a long and thorough process, as is Arizona. Those are the last two jobs that remain open. It it would lead you to believe that they're going after the Philly OC. I mean, if they haven't named the the coach yet, the thought is probably that... Or the, no, the Philly DC, right? Gannon? No, I think it's the OC. Shane uh, Stechian, or... Yeah, that's that's the guy. Yep. Um... Yeah, he was one of the three finalists. Okay. So. All right. All right. Coming up next, Mike Tanier joins us. Talk about Super Bowl 57, big offseason stories for the NFL. He is and out at Super Bowl. He's there. He's in Arizona. I'm jealous. All right. More when we return on Clean Browns Daily, brought to you by Ballybet, coming soon to Ohio. Cleveland Browns Daily brought to you by BallyBet. Coming soon to Ohio on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Welcome back into Cleveland Browns Daily, brought to you by BallyBet, coming soon to Ohio. We head out on the Twisted Tea hotline right now and are joined by the senior analyst for FootballOutsiders.com and New York Times sports contributor Mike Tanier, who is brought to you by Twisted Tea, Hard Ice Tea, an official sponsor of the Cleveland Browns. Keep it twisted, Cleveland. Mike, how are you? Do we have Mike? I'm here. Ah, Mike, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. Are we on the air right now? We are on the air, indeed. <laughs> Sorry about that. We cut off for a minute. These things happen when you're at the Super Bowl. You have to be expect the unexpected. You're exactly right. Well, you got everybody on their cell phones, everything going on there. How is it down in Phoenix? What's kind of the buzz around this game between you know the number one seeds, the Kansas City Chiefs, and the Philadelphia Eagles? You know, it's funny. It's quiet. Too quiet, as they say. You know, the city of Phoenix is beautiful. It is sunny, and it is very spread out. So some of that energy, some of that sizzle you get from being in the Super Bowl, we're not feeling it yet. Not a lot of fans in town. I think the fans are in town or spread out all across the desert, so to speak. But, you know, when we're in here, when we're close to Radio Row, when we're in the media center, the talk is very much about the fact that this is a really fun game, and it's really a close game. And it's a little bit of, like I said before, expect the unexpected type of game because, it, it, you know, there's a couple of obvious storylines, and then there's just the factor of, man, these teams are great. They're the two number one seeds. Let's see what happens. What do you make of the narrative that the Eagles have had kind of, you know, a primrose path? They have not been tested. Obviously, what happened in the Niner game turned what should have been, I think, one of the better NFC champion games in recent memory into kind of a a debacle. What do you make of that narrative? And, And what do the numbers tell you about just how good this Eagles team is? It's horse feathers, and I'll say this. The Eagles gener- generated 70 sacks in the regular season. That's the yeah. most since 1989. So, like, when the 1985 Bears, who I think had 73 sacks, when they knocked quarterbacks out of the game, when they knocked Joe Montana out of the game years ago, was that luck? 
or was that sure. skill? That was obviously skill. This is a team that generates a lot of sacks. So you're the San Francisco 49ers. You have a third-string rookie. What do you have to do? Protect your quarterback. If you fail to protect your quarterback, is that luck or is that the other team's skill? That is skill. That is the Eagles yep. demonstrating one of the ways they can beat you. And I'll say this, you know, we had a team, the Minnesota Vikings in the NFL this year, who won a lot of games, reached the playoffs, yep. and every game was against a weak opponent, and it was a field goal at the, at, the, at the last minute. That's luck. That's fluky. You could look at that team and say they're primed to get beaten, and they were primed to get beaten, and they were beaten by the Giants. Eagles did play some easier opponents. They beat the daylights out of them. And if you look at the analytics going back yeah. decades, great teams beat the daylights out of bad opponents. You can actually use that as a better predictor than what they do in close games against good opponents because they are demonstrating how far above average, above the rest of the league they are. And then when you get into games like we saw in the playoffs, they continue to demonstrate that. Yeah, you mentioned right off the top the 70 sacks. You know, they had second place, I think it was 55 this year. They had four guys with double-digit sacks. Hassan Reddick's kind of continued yeah. that tear here into the playoffs. Is that the matchup of the game in your mind, that defensive line and that pass rush against Patrick Mahomes in the Chiefs' passing game? That is one of the key matchups, and you know, I was talking with some other uh, uh, shows about, well, how do the Chiefs combat that? Now, the Chiefs have a very good offensive line, but not an outstanding one. They can right. neutralize things to a little bit, but they can't neutralize it all the way. So what does Andy Reid do? Does he keep tight ends into block? Do you keep Travis Kelsey into block? That sounds like nope. a terrible idea. <laughs> yeah, do you put your other ones in, uh, your other tight ends in? The answer is I think he's going to look to the screen game. Uh, Andy Reid has been running the screen game successfully for decades. He will do like like tight end screens, middle screens, screens to McKinnon. He's got all sorts of concepts and wrinkles in there, and that's a way to make Hassan Reddick and the others come after your quarterback and throw it over their heads on a short pass. That's one of the things you can do. That will help. But then the question is, how many screens do you think you can run? That's great twice a game, three times a game. It's not 19 times a game. And so I think that's one of the matchups that I think – leans heavily in the Eagles' direction. So that's a big one, and this battles from at footballoutsiders.com where you can read Mike's work. Uh, this is the number one offense, the Chiefs, in terms of DVOA. The Eagles are number three in terms of offense. So flipping it around, I know you just wrote about Trent McDuffie, Jalen Watson, Joshua Williams, not rookies anymore, and it's kind of amazing what they've been able to do with rookies in their secondary against, obviously, very good passing attacks. They'll get Legereus Sneed back, but... That they're going to get tested. A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, that is a dynamic duo there. What did you make kind of of the evolution of these DBs? It feels like it's almost unprecedented to do what Kansas City's doing with that many rookies uh, in the secondary. Uh, and how do you kind of see that matchup going? You're exactly right. And I got to talk to those young men, and they're outstanding young men, and they're very confident, and they've been working hard during the season to improve. Earlier in the year, you would see Watson get toasted, Williams get toasted, McDuffie was hurt. Now they're all back. They're all playing at a higher level. You saw them get interceptions against Joe Barrow. But this is Devontae Smith. This is A.J. Brown. This is an offensive line that will protect Jalen Hurts. And I think that's one of the differences that we're going to see between the Bengals game a couple weeks ago where Joe Barrow threw a couple picks because Joe Barrow was running for his life a lot in the second yep. half. Whereas Jalen Hurts, again, this is a big – matchup advantage for the Eagles, their outstanding offensive line against Chris Jones, a phenomenal yeah. defensive tackle, like a, an all pro. And then a lot of guys, you know, a lot of guys yep. uh, other than that. So, so you can, you can scheme to kind of limit Jones as best you can. So again, those, those cornerbacks will be tested. I think that they're outstanding players, but I think this is a matchup that's going to lean once again towards the Eagles. 
Was Chris Jones's performance in the AFC Championship game one of the most singularly dominant performances from a defensive lineman? Or, or am I being a prisoner of the moment? It just felt like he took that game over, and whenever they needed a play, Chris Jones made it. I don't know. It's up, it's up there. And, uh, you know okay. what? Chris Jones in the Super Bowl a couple of years ago against the 49ers in the fourth quarter, he blew up everything in that game too. So, so yeah. he, it's 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 definitely in the top three Chris Jones performances, and that's got to sure. tell you what kind of player he is. But but yeah, he is phenomenal, and and that is one. I, I think it it is a seminal moment that people will remember for a long time. All right, so I kind of talked about what I thought were maybe two of the bigger matchups in the game. You said both gave the advantage to the Eagles. So, do you believe the Eagles win this game? I believe they do, but I believe it's this is incredibly close because. The Kansas City Chiefs stack of uh, of things that they have are Mahomes, yep. Andy Reid, yep. Travis Kelsey, and Chris Jones. That uh, you know, those are four big pieces, uh, like four yep. big chips to stack, right? And then the Eagles have like all the other chips, like so that so they've got a pile of smaller chips, and the Chiefs have the big chips. Uh, you know, my boss Aaron Schott says, you know, when in doubt, go with the better quarterback, and that seems like a logical case here. Go with the better quarterback, go with the more experienced gifted head coach go with the hall of famers who've already declared themselves hall of famers they're all on the uh, chief side of things but matchup after matchup going through the analytics going through short yardage advantages cornerback advantages offensive line advantages i keep thinking that the tilt is going in the direction of the philadelphia eagles yeah i think would you agree with if, if the chiefs are going to win this game it's incumbent upon them to force the eagles to play from behind either you know in the yeah. somewhere in the second half yeah, I think that makes sense because making the Eagles more one-dimensional, taking out the idea that they can run run 15 different ways against you, then go over the top, you want to get that out of there. And One of the things the Chiefs have not done against better opponents is, is tilt the game in that favor. The Chiefs tend to get into these shootouts, and if they get into that kind of shootout type of game, the Eagles will be able to hang with them because the Eagles can be explosive in their running game as well oh, yeah. as their passing game. Certainly. You look at, you know, Hurts, double-digit touchdowns, Sanders, double-digit touchdowns, that line yeah. that you referenced. I mean, they're a pretty darn complete team. you got to tip your hat to Howie Roseman. There aren't a lot of weaknesses on that team. If, if, there, if there are, what are they? And if you're the Chiefs, how do you exploit them? The Eagles are not strong at safety. Uh, they're not particularly strong in linebacker. Like the, there's a little bit of a soft middle of the, uh, of the defense, and they're okay. not an outstanding run team. So on the one hand, Kelsey will find opportunities to get open. There's nobody who's like, this is my Travis Kelsey neutralizer. That's one advantage that I think will help the Chiefs. If the Chiefs were a running team, they could use that to their advantage. But not only are they just kind of a so-so running team, but Andy Reid don't like that. <laughs> Andy yep. Reid can have like a, a great running attack and be like, yeah, I'll use this when I'm already up by three touchdowns. I'm not going to use this right now. So one of the things Andy could do, and again, this is one of the greatest game planners, especially with two weeks to prepare in NFL history. He might say, well, here's something they're not going to expect. Power running with Isaiah Pacheco and Jarek McKinnon. He could pull that out, and that could help them, the Chiefs, create a, a slowed-down game uh, yep. that maybe uh, you know, surprises the Eagles a bit. Trying to squeeze the football. Talking with Mike Tanier right now, senior analyst for FootballOutsiders.com and contributes to the New York Times Sports as well. Uh, you mentioned short yardage advantage, and you wrote an article about the secrets of the push Jalen Hurts Club, which are the guys that they get in those sneaks, they get behind them, they push them. Number one, do you like the rule that that is allowed? It feels like it's everywhere now in the NFL. It almost feels like sneaks, for the most part, are foregone conclusions. Do you think the NFL addresses that rule? And then number two, what makes what the Eagles do so effective? 
Well, number one, I did get to talk to Mike Pereira a little bit yesterday, and what he thinks the competition committee is going to say, show us the injury data. Now, if you look at this season, they didn't see a lot of injuries on sneaks. I don't think we saw even a lot of plays where it looked like an injury was about to happen. Like, oh, my God, they're twisting the quarterback like a pretzel. I don't think we've seen that. So on that side of things, if if it's not injurious, then let them play. Let's convert some more for – fourth downs let's score sure. some more touchdowns let's have some more commercials and let's make some more money i mean that, that's kind of the way uh, uh the nfl sure. operates um what the eagles do that's different about it i mean one thing i came away with is that there is a lot of diversity to their sneaks not only have they been practicing this and executing it but if you go back and just put in quarterback sneaks in youtube and watch them different personnel it's different um formations it doesn't always look the same you're not always tipped off that it's the case then they've done one or two plays from the sneak formation. I know they did one against the Giants where it turned out to be a pitch play and they gained 25 yards. So that's the kind of like focus on this high leverage, high importance play that the Eagles put in that's paying dividends for them this year. Yeah, it really is. It's fun to watch the way that they're able to do that. Um, obviously, this game is is the big one. You mentioned you are picking the Eagles in a close game over the Chiefs here. So I just want to talk about if anything else has kind of been bandied about. We know Sean Payton has gone to Denver. Just from a big NFL, are there any kind of stories there for this offseason, or are you expecting more of that when we get to Indianapolis for the Combine when everybody obviously starts talking and looking ahead to the next season? Everybody's talking about Aaron Rodgers. And you know, okay. last I heard, Aaron, Aaron Rodgers has locked himself in a closet or blasted himself into space. He I'm plans sure. to, yes. He's, he's sleeping in a coffin. I don't quite understand what's happening, but everybody Darkness. who's everybody is getting a mic- microphone put in front of their face and said, where's Aaron Rodgers going to go? And, of course, Rodgers don't know. The teams yep. that might be suitors for him don't know. But, th- but that's the story that keeps rolling and rolling and rolling here. And guess what? It's going to be rolling and rolling for weeks to come. Do you find the way that he is kind of, it's almost like he's anti-Green Bay to just be odd, or is that a product of them not surrounding him with talent? I mean, the fact that he's only, you know, won one Super Bowl is probably will go down and look at that as as an organizational failure, given how good he individually has been. But do, do you find the whole thing a little bit odd, the way that his career is winding down, or if he has, in fact, played his last snap for the Green Bay Packers? I, everything about him is odd. It's very, very <laughs> odd. I'll say, I'll say this. He, he seems like the kind of guy who needs lots and lots and lots of reassurance. Like, tell me you love me. Show me you yep, love me. Yep, uh-huh. Show me some more. Show me financially. Show me emotionally. Say things in the press. Do things that I want you to do. He needs a lot of that. And every offseason, he kind of goes into that mode where he loves the speculation. He loves uh, uh, being this man of mystery, and he kind of craves this attention to a degree. And to a degree, Green Bay's kind of stuck with it. I don't think that this is how they want to do business every year. But, you know, the alternatives are not always great. So we'll see what happens this year. But when you start stacking up things like Aaron Rodgers in New York, I mean, imagine Aaron Rodgers in New York. That doesn't really make any sense. The, the, the Post and the Daily News would lose their minds over this guy talking about sleeping in, in deprivation chambers and stuff like yeah. that. Right. You try to picture him in Las Vegas, I don't think the money adds up for Las Vegas. So like, there's a lot of places where you come back to the only matchup, the coupling that makes sense, like it or not, is, is the Packers and Aaron Rodgers. 
It is wild there since this is Cleveland Browns daily. Just a couple Browns questions for you as you wrap it up. Just overall, when you looked at this season, that obviously was a strange one with Deshaun coming in for the final six games, the team blowing very easy games early on, and obviously ultimately coming up short of their goal of making the playoffs. When you look at this Browns team, what do you like about this team? And then what were the the issues that need to be addressed? And obviously they made a a change at the defensive coordinator position. Joe Woods is out. He's now in New Orleans. Jim Schwartz is in. uh, And, you know, they're obviously obviously going to have to make some uh, address some things this offseason in terms of personnel but just kind of big picture with the Browns what did you see kind of this year and and what gives you a, a cause for optimism going forward if anything I like the offensive line I like the running game I like the potential Watson has to kind of improve on uh, what was clearly a sort of rusty end of yep. season there and I like the hiring of Schwartz but the problem I have with Schwartz somebody who has followed his career in Philadelphia, followed his career in Detroit, is that his entire system, especially pass rush, requires a Damakong Su or a Fletcher Cox in the middle of that defensive yep. line. And there is no one even approaching a Damakong Su or a Fletcher Cox to be in the middle of that defensive line so that Garrett can be out of his little island out there and, and, and murdering quarterbacks and not worrying about you know, you know, double teams and all. Sure. So I don't, know where, I don't know where the Browns get that Damakong Su or Fletcher Cox without a first-round pick with some cap issues to, uh, to, to, uh, uh, to handle. And I keep making the joke to some of my friends around here is that they're going to have to go out in free agency on the cheap and they're going to have to sign Fletcher Cox and Damakong Sue in their 30s on one-year deals to kind of come in and do Schwartz's system. So there's a lot that they're doing very well, but there's a, it's very going in two directions at once, unfortunately, because of the lack of the resources they have to get better right now after the trades that they made. No, you're right, right. It's, it feels like a long shot. I don't know why Washington would let him go, but that a Duran Payne could find his way to Cleveland just feels financially like a challenge, to your point. Well, you know, that that's a good example because it's Washington and they do dumb things and you could be the team that benefits from that, but that's the kind of move you do have to make. All right, well, hope we'll keep our fingers crossed. Pass that on to Andrew Barry. Mike, thank you so much for the time. Enjoy yourself in the Valley of the Sun and looking forward to a great Super Bowl this Sunday. Absolutely. You take care, guys, and enjoy the big game. All right, that was Mike Tanier joining us on the Twisted Tea Hotline. Of course, you can find his work at footballoutsiders.com and in the New York Times. Twisted Tea, official sponsor of the Cleveland Browns. Keep it twisted. Cleveland. All right, Gibbe, you heard it right there. He likes the Eagles in this one, and because in the key matchups, the Eagles seem to have an advantage. And it's funny, we were talking, and I was looking up Jalen Hurts' numbers this year. Jalen Hurts this season, Gibbe. Do you want to do it to guess the stats? Absolutely. Yeah, it's classic. Classic Gibbe. Okay. All right, Gibbe. Give me his completion percentage, passing yards. He played 15 games to give you completion percentage, passing yards, touchdowns, and interceptions. Completion percentage, passing yards. I'll go 63% completion percentage. 63%. Okay, passing yards. Uh, 15 games. 15 games. He's got some elite wideouts. 4,200 yards. 4,200 yards, Gibbe. My way off, probably. Uh, from a touchdown standpoint. Well, I just would remind you, this is he, the number one rushing team runs, in the NFL by a long time. Correct. So 4,200 yards might be a lot. But anyway, go ahead. Touchdowns. <laughs> Minor detail. Uh, so with that, I will totally screw up my argument. 26 touchdowns. Okay, 26 touchdowns and how many picks? I would say five. Okay. All right. So you said 63%. It was 66.5%. All right. I'll Not take bad. That. Not bad. You said 4,200 yards. It was 3,701. Okay. So 500. 
You said 26 touchdowns. It was 22. 22. That's it. With those wide hold, hold on. Hold on. Hold we'll on. We'll get to the next piece. And then you said five picks. It was six. So you were pretty much right on it. His quarterback rating was 101. Right, so my yards were 5. off. But you're, you understood his efficiency and his goodness. All right. Yeah. What do you think his rushing numbers were this season? Rushing numbers. Just yards and touchdowns. We'll call it yards and touchdowns. I, I feel like 800 yards rushing. And I I know it was double digit touchdowns. I said it. Good good paying attention to the interview. Um, I want to say it was thirteen touchdowns. All right, seven hundred sixty and thirteen were the actuals, so you were right on there. But so when you add that in, so thirty five touchdowns that he accounted for That's, personally yeah. in fifteen games, seven hundred sixty plus thirty seven oh one is forty three hundred and sixty one yards of offense in 15 games the guy was basically almost at 300 yards of offense and over two touchdowns a game pretty pretty darn good 22 passing touchdowns with those wideouts. Uh, the only concerning thing there is like because they he, he wideouts are divas and wideouts want the ball more and wideouts want touchdowns aj brown had a career high in receiving yards this year aj brown had i believe 1400 i want to say A.J. Brown had 1496 and 11. (laughs) Devontae Smith had 95 catches, 1196 and 7. So basically it was those two. And Goddard in 12 games had 702 yards and three scores. So they caught three. They caught, yeah, that's all. That's basically all of, that's the vast majority of it. The next closest person was Quez Watkins had 354 yards and three touchdowns. Nobody else had 200 yards on the team. So it was the big three for them. Uh, that got it done, but no, A.J. Brown was pumped. But you got to remember, Miles Sanders had 1,269 yards and 11 touchdowns himself. They had 32 touchdowns rushing this season and rushed for 2,509 yards. Man, it's a nice it's a nice balance, kids, if you can get it. Yeah, no, there's a, there's a reason that they're in the Super yeah, Bowl. exactly, and that offensive line just yeah. Is that, so yeah. good. Hertz was sacked 38 times in 15 games, so not even three a game, just over two a game. They're, yeah, they're, they're darn good, and we're going to all get to see that on display. I think it's going to be a very fun game. They had, I think it was eight Pro Bowlers. Hertz is a Pro Bowler. Miles Sanders is a Pro Bowler. A.J. Brown was a Pro Bowler. That's three. Reddick, Slay, that's four, five. Landon Dickerson is six. Jason Kelsey is seven. I think they had one more. Anyway, look at it. That's a lot of Pro Bowlers. By the way, total sidebar. Yeah. Good news. The owners are in agreement with the Cleveland Browns Daily crew that conference championship games do not need to be played at neutral sites. Rooney in Pittsburgh – Good. And then today, Chiefs owner Clark Hunt. Good. And those are those, those are, are two stalwarts. Yeah, stalwarts, guys. Uh, amazing. Good. It would be a travesty. It would be awful. It would be a total travesty. Yeah. Like, that's why you earn the number one seed. Well, it, here, here's the interesting thing. Clark Hunt today, he, he has this view, despite the fact that his late father, Lamar Hunt, had proposed neutral site championship games more than once before his death in 2006. Uh, It's actually something my dad mentioned a couple times to the league. He thought it might be good. But having experienced it now for five years in a row, 
getting to host that game is such a special reward for the regular season and a way to reward your fans who have been so loyal throughout the year. Yes. One team, two teams in the league get to host the biggest game that they can host, right? Otherwise, yeah. that's it. Only one team gets to host the championship game in the AFC. One team gets hosted in the NFC. And it is the coolest thing for those fans. It's the coolest environment on TV. It just wouldn't match up in any way, shape, or form to do it any other way. And so I'm glad that, that those owners of that ilk have spoken up and said, not happening. We're not doing it. Yeah. Because I think that you, you, that's exactly what you need. You need to have these games in those fields. All right, when we come back, hour number two, we've got the cornerback position preview at 2 o'clock. We have got the best starters, and I I stand on my thing. Listen, you heard him say it. You heard Tanir say it. He said they've got Mahomes, Kelsey, Chris Jones, and Andy Reid. Andy Reid's not a starter. He doesn't get to count in that. He said, and then the Eagles have everybody else. I don't know who else they could put in there unless they put the punter who was like an all-pro. Tommy Townsend was an all-pro punter. I mean, give me a break. What are we doing here? All right. So that's all coming up, hour number two, as well as Omar Ruiz, who's embedded with the Eagles for Super Bowl 57. Coming your way on Cleveland Browns Daily, brought to you by BallyBet, coming soon to Ohio. Cleveland Browns Daily, brought to you by BallyBet, coming soon to Ohio on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Third down and goal, they toss it left side. DeAndre Carter, he got wrapped up and knocked down. Great play by Greg Newsom. Near side left, getting chased. The ball is intercepted. Denzel Ward's got it. He cut right in the lap of the defender, and Denzel Ward's got the pick. It's a great relationship. I mean, he's learning from me. I'm learning from him and all those guys. Greg, he's a he's, he's right there. He's at that level. I think he's taking that next step to be a elite uh, defender in this league. Throwing across the middle, and it's intercepted at the 10-yard line. The Browns steal the ball. It's Denzel Ward. What a play by Denzel Ward as he jumped the road. It's amazing. Um, he's one of the top corners in the game still. So obviously having a talent like that on the field is, is always going to make everyone's job a lot easier. Takes the snap, and he's back, and he's looking near side, and he's throwing, and it's up in the air, and it's picked off. The Browns come up with it on the pick. It's Denzel Ward. He's got it. Turns, whips it left, and it's tipped and picked off. Intercepted down the sideline. The Browns got it. Down the left sideline, 35. It's A.J. Green. He's to the 40, 35, 30, 25, down to the 20-yard line. On a tip drill, A.J. Green got it. Looking, he's going to get hit and knocked down. The rookie, M.J. Emerson, out of the secondary, comes into the backfield and sacks Jackson. I feel like my size, he plays a big role. You know, my style of play, obviously, I'm a bigger corner, so, you know, I play physical. Be more patient. I can get my, you know, use my length to get hands on guys. I just use my side to my advantage. He's going to throw. He's back. He throws. It's no good. They missed it. Broken up by MJ Emerson. He laterals it back. Juggled there. They're at the five. They're going to lateral it back again. It's going to be recovered in the end zone for a touchdown. Recovered by Denzel Ward. And the Browns are winners. They just beat the Steelers. Yeah, I think we definitely have the talent to uh, be in the playoffs and compete and contend for that. But um, like I said, we fell short this year, and uh, we just got to find a way to, to come back stronger next year. All right, that is a listen to the great Jim Donovan talking about the Browns cornerbacks. And you are here, hour number two, Cleveland Browns Daily, brought to you by BallyBet, coming soon to Ohio. So here's kind of where things stand for the Browns quarterbacks. Your top three are all back. But, but, 
it's not quite that simple, I would say. And it makes me wonder, this is just pure reckless speculation, not even really spec. It, it is, it's not founded on anything, but it just makes you wonder a little bit about how this cornerback room looks, evolves going forward. What do I mean by that? You've got Denzel Ward, who signed the five-year extension in last April. Uh, he is with the team through 2028. He had three interceptions, matching his career high last year, 15 passes, defense in 14 games, a couple of fumble recoveries, scored a touchdown, 42 tackles as well, was near his career high in that respect also. So a very good season. Denzel Ward, the warden, he is an excellent outside corner. You got Greg Newsom, our first-round pick from one year ago, 41 solo tackles. He had half a sack, six passes defensed. He's a great tackler, especially in the run game. He plays that very well. Uh, but no interceptions now in two career seasons. He has not gotten an interception in two career seasons with the Browns, but still played very well. But here's the thing. He struggled a little bit in the slot. He was excellent outside. So he really is, at his core, an outside corner. As is MJ Emerson, the Browns rookie third rounder who had a great rookie season, 51 solo tackles. He had a sack. He had 15 passes defense tied for the team lead last year, which was third among all rookies. Only Sauce Gardner and Tariq Wolin, both of them who went to the Pro Bowl, had more passes defense as a rookie than MJ Emerson did last season. He was, frankly, very, very good. And for the Browns, when you go and you look, and, and so those are kind of the raw numbers. Numbers, but when you look at, you know, take a pro football focus approach to it and a look at it and you say to yourself, okay, how do we, how do we stack up here? Last year, the Browns had three, three, all three, including Greedy Williams, who had a miserable season this year. But the Browns had three corners all in the top 30 grades at pro football focus. Greg Newsom, Denzel Ward, and Greedy Williams. Greedy Williams last year had two picks and 10 pass breakups. Greedy Williams this year ended up ultimately getting benched and falling completely out of the rotation. He had six tackles in 11 games. When targeted in coverage, he gave up a quarterback rating of 158.3, which was the highest you could possibly give up. It was a perfect quarterback rating. So for the Browns, MJ Emerson was actually your highest graded at Pro Football Focus. 72.5 was his grade there, which is a very solid grade. Uh, as the corner. He was our number one graded corner. In coverage, Emerson gave up 53% completions, 85 rating. So those were both also the best on the team. Greg Newsom, 62% completions, 89 rating in coverage. He graded out at 69.1. His coverage grade was 72.3. Emerson's was 75.1. Then you get Denzel Ward, who had statistically some good things this season, but he was only a 56.860 in coverage. He gave up 60% completions, 85.6 rating in coverage, which was thanks to those three interceptions. Remember, the rating for Emerson, 85.6, and Newsom, 89.2, they don't have the benefit of interceptions affecting that quarterback rating. Denzel had three of them, but Denzel also uh, gave up three touchdowns um, on the season. So he had a good year. He didn't have a great year. Emerson was a pleasant surprise, but Emerson is strictly an outside corner. What the Browns really have right now are three outside corners, and so it begs the question is, does Andrew Barry potentially explore a move here to move one of the outside corners for maybe a receiver, and then you sign in free agency a slot corner, which is cheaper than what you're doing on the outside? 
It feels like Greedy Williams, that might have been his last season with the Cleveland Browns. That injury, you know, really robbed him, I think, of what was a promising young career. Although two years ago, coming back from the injury, he was very good. Last year, he was not. A.J. Green, he had an interception this year. He had an interception the year before. was the last person to intercept uh, Ben Roethlisberger. You could say on the Browns, you know, I've intercepted Roethlisberger. I've intercepted Joe Burrow. Um, I like A.J. Green. Same. They tried to give him some inside, outside uh, He's better suited outside. He's a little bit slow for a slot, but he's a big slot. He has good instincts. He's an exclusive rights free agent as, because he started his career as a UDFA. Uh, I think that he'll be back with the Browns. I think they like A.J. Green. Good on special teams as well. And then Thomas Graham, uh, somebody they signed in the middle of the season. I thought played well the game. He had to come in and play the slot against Tampa um, and, and looked pretty good. So he's somebody I would expect you know could be back as well. He's also an exclusive rights free agent. Um, what do you do... Greg, I know, wants to play outside. He's willing to do whatever to help the team. But you have three guys who are best at the outside, and you don't. You can only play two outside on any given play. Um, you know, like Troy Hill actually played a very valuable role for the Browns, being that slot corner before we gave him up uh, in the in money Mitch before him. Money Mitch before him was had inside outside versatility. Um, but it's just a weird thing here. With you know, because if you're Greg, just from his selfish standpoint, I think he is better when he's outside, uh, and I've heard that from a, you know a lot of people in our building as well as around the league that they, he's better outside. He's coming up now, you know, towards the end of his rookie contract. He's halfway done with it. He's going to want to get paid like an outside corner. MJ Emerson can only play outside, and Denzel's never really kind of shown the willingness to go inside and and take on the run support roles that that requires. Uh, and he likes to be outside and he's kind of the franchise. So I, I don't know how they go about this next year. Well, I, I mean, I think it falls on Jim Schwartz to, to make the evaluations and decide who, who gives me the best chance to, to get this done successfully. Well, they're all starting corners. And I mean, it, it's correct, but you, you got to pick two to be outside. Right. Well, what you can do is do what they did last year with Greg, but I think that that's tough on him. I'll be honest. I think it's tough to ask somebody to play outside agree. half the game and then inside half the game. Uh, just to kind of break things down for you. So if you're looking at you know guys who played at least 50% of the snaps last year in terms of coverage grade in the NFL, MJ Emerson was number 18. That's a number one starting corner. Greg Newsom was number 23. He had a good season, much better than I think people give him credit for. Now, Denzel Ward didn't land on the top 50. So I'm not saying that Denzel Ward isn't a top 50 corner. He actually is number 50. He tied with Roger McCreary and Benjamin St. Juiced, just below Troy Hill. But, I mean, the people with it, Sauce Gardner, Pat Sertain, Jair Alexander, Gilmore, Tyson Campbell, Pat Pete, Bradbury Slay, Ramsey, DJ Reed, Legereus Sneed, Chavarius Ward, Asante Samuel, Trent McDuffie, Jamel Dean, Marlon Humphrey, Kendall Fuller, MJ Emerson. And then Michael Davis, Tariq Woolen, J.C. Horn, Teron Johnson with Buffalo, then Greg Newsom. Like, those guys are in good company. I mean, with the exception of McDuffie, who was a rookie, um, those are all names. Those are all pretty household the names at the cornerback position, maybe without the exception of McDuffie and Michael Davis uh, of the Chargers. So they actually played well. Our young corners played well last year. I do think you have something to look at, though, because of the effectiveness, you know, in terms of what you did in the slot with Greg Newsom versus what you did outside of the slot. 
And so to give kind of a little bit of a dive on that right now, if you go and you look at slot performance, um, an NFL rating allowed when you're in the slot compared to outside of the slot, Newsom was actually better outside of the slot than he was in the slot. In the slot last year, Greg Newsom gave up a much higher completion percentage. That's not atypical and gave up a much higher quarterback rating in the slot than outside of the slot. And so you want him where he excels, right? You want him to be where he feels like he can play at the highest level, and that is outside. But that's where MJ Emerson is, and that's where Denzel Ward is. So I think there is a real interesting decision to make here if they want to switch the personnel. Now, you could always want to have three great outside corners because you're going to need them at some point, especially with Denzel's injury history. So maybe they do nothing. But that's something that I would would just monitor. And, and that's something that we can – talk with Jim Schwartz about as well. We're going to have him on the show tomorrow is how do you deal with that? When you have three guys who are best outside, do you want a true slot? Do you want a true nickel? And you know, how do you worry about the, that kind of playing time? I think that's a, it's a, it's a, it's a tougher situation than it should be. than when you think, man, we have three really good corners. Well, and the issue is with Newsom, I think that, Unfortunately, Denzel missed more games again this year. Really? Yeah, he does. I mean, it. He, he does every year. He played in fourteen games, but really, he played in thirteen. Yeah, you, you can't uh, count the Steelers. Either. Yeah, I mean, he got he, he was dinged up going in, and you know, hard hit and was out. I mean, yep. that's that's missing again four games. Yep. Uh, and that forces you to take Newsom back out of the slot and put him outside. But that's where he would want to be. Correct. And he's very but, good there. But when you're working so hard on one on one position, to, to then have to revert back and and to go back and forth, that's asking a lot. Yeah. And I don't know if that's necessarily fair to do. No, and you wonder just has that had an effect? And I think he's played very well. I mean, you look at his his two years in the league. You know, Greg Newsom is a darn good player in terms of his grades. You know, from his rookie year, he got better in coverage and his overall grade from his rookie year to his second year. He's he's a very good player, and, and the Browns just need to figure out, you know, is there is there a move that makes sense if they are to make a move, and if not, how do we make this work when we have three talented guys? Now, that's obviously say, Coach Jim Schwartz, like, give me all the talent. I'll figure out how to make it work. That's what the Browns, I think, on some level need to try to figure out here. What can they do to get all those three guys on the field? I think A.J. Green comes back. I think Graham's going to come back. I think Greedy Williams uh, at this point won't, although he could be – cheap and you could say we still believe in your talent you know he's not going to get a big free agent contract come on back so we'll see what happens there all right depth uh what's your concern on the depth of this position we don't have a backup slot right now unless thomas graham you know they like him enough to say he's the backup slot you don't have a backup nickel and i think that's that's a little bit of a concern right now i mean i think it's it's a position you definitely have to address either maybe not at the top of free agency but you know that the, after that first tier of guys is off the board, maybe something you look at, and definitely yeah. somewhere that you have to look at come draft time. I think as well with one of those picks, no doubt. Uh, bigger surprise: Greg Newsom the second not getting an INT this year, or the play of MJ Emerson. Uh, I mean to get MJ Emerson to play the way he did, which I think honestly, if there was a redraft of the 2022 draft right now. 
I think that he would have gone as a first-round pick. So that's more surprising. Interceptions, Greg had a chance to catch two of them. He did. That he didn't catch. Um, I think MJ had a chance at one. MJ had one as well. Interceptions sometimes are luck. I think they both played well. It's just how do you, you know, ball production is important. But good coverage, good tackling, all those things are more important. Ball production will come with that. Interceptions are not a year-to-year predictable, reliable thing. You would like to see them come away with one or two you know, over the course of a season. But I think to get MJ Emerson to play like a first or certainly an early second-round pick was a-, a wonderful thing if you're the Cleveland Browns. And I think that was a-, a great, very, very pleasant surprise. All right, let's look at our cornerbacks right there. When we come back, we're going to take a look at the starters ranking them. I- I'm Listen, it should be seven out of the top ten at most. Four out of the top. We might 10 have would to be start Chiefs. this, and then, and then we'll like pick it up. Pick again. it up at, sure. after Omar. Omar. At All right. Well, we're coming up next here. Clem Brown's Daily, brought to you by Ballybet, coming soon to Ohio. Cleveland Browns Daily, brought to you by Ballybet, coming soon to Ohio on eight fifty ESPN Cleveland. Be part of one of the most passionate fan bases in the NFL. Join the Brown season ticket member waitlist today for the best chance at securing tickets for all home games in future seasons. Don't miss out. Go to cleanbrowns.com slash tickets or call 440-891-5050 to reserve your spot today. All right, this is from cbssports.com. I'm not even going to look at it right now. I'm going to see, let's see, Mahomes one, Kelsey two. Hmm. Tough. Jones, Tough Redick, here. Let's see. Cox, let's see what we can do here. Lane, Kelsey, brother. It's the center. All right. This is my my top. Two, three, four, five, six, seven. All right. Top eight. Mahomes one. Correct. Kelsey two. Yes. Jalen Hurts three. No. Okay. Chris Jones. He's number three. Chris Jones three. So the Chiefs have the top three. Now yep. it should be all Eagles. So, Reddick, Cox, Lane Johnson, Jason Kelsey. Jason Kelsey is number four. Okay. Lane Johnson, number five. All right, so I'm good at this so far. Jalen Hurts, number six. Okay, I've listed all those people. All right, Reddick, Cox, what about Bradbury and Slay? Uh, Not in the top ten. Either? Neither. Wow. What about Reddick? Uh, Number seven is the one chief that you miss. Uh, Creed Humphrey. I said it. If it would be four, Creed hum- if they had four, it would be Creed Humphrey. No, I thought you think. I think you said the punter. No, earlier I said they'd have three, or if they didn't have three, Creed Humphrey would make it in as the fourth or center. Okay. So he that's the only one. Humphrey so, is seven. Okay. A.J. Brown is eight. Oh, yeah, A.J., sure, eight. Hassan Reddick is number nine. Yep. Joe Thune. Come on. It's ridiculous. Chiefs guard. Is ten? Is number 10. Over Fletcher Cox, over Bradbury, over Slay. Bradbury is 13. Slay is 12. Okay. TJ Edwards is 11, the middle linebacker for the Eagles. What about Fletcher Cox? Stand by. What about Devontae Smith? Devontae Smith is 15. Okay. Uh, Where's Fletcher Cox? Sneed is 16. Did I miss him? Who was sixth? Was he sixth? No, it's Jalen Hurts. Hurts is six. Oh, yeah. One, two, three. Son Reddick. 
four, five, six, he's seven, not, eight, nine. He's not even up he's there. He's not in the top 16. Hold on. That's wild. So they have five and five in the top 10. That's ridiculous. That's absurd. <laughs> now 11, 12, 13. Who's 14th? Jordan Mylata From the Eagles. Eagles yep. tackle. Okay. So the Eagles have 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15. Fletcher Cox. Yeah. 35th. What? 35th. He isn't the player he used to be, not even close, but he's still capable of playing well in, for spurts. Didn't he have double-digit sacks? They say he had the worst, se- worst season this year, but is, he is still more than capable of pushing the pocket. I'm fairly confident he's better than a number of the other guys that, you, that you're trying out here in this article. Right, hold on. Let's just look at real quick, real quick. Fletcher Cox. So, Legereus Sneed Fletcher is Cox 16. had 14 quarterback hits. He had... Seven sacks, so he wasn't one of the four. Oh, Javon Hargrave. Where's Javon Hargrave? Stand by. Uh, 21st. What? <laughs> Trey Smith was 20. Who? Chiefs guard. Over Javon Hargrave? Dallas Goddard is 19. Where's C.J. Gardner-Johnson? Frank six Clark picks? is 18. Where's C.J. Gardner-Johnson? Where's Miles Sanders? Hold on. Miles Sanders is 27th. Uh, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, yeah, thirtieth. The Eagles team is is just so talented; it's it's kind of wild. I, I, yeah, I, I. Hargrave had sixty tackles, eleven sacks, sixteen quarterback hits, ten tackles for loss. Where's Josh Sweat? Josh Sweat had eleven sacks, fifteen tackles for loss, twenty three quarterback hits. He had an interception, just a forced fumble. Twenty eight. Juju was twenty nine. How can Juju be 29 ahead of Fletcher Cox? Where's Josh Sweat on that list? I don't even have a list, so I really can't. Yeah, you do. Where? This is a free agent thing, and this is where does Jalen Hurts rank in the Super Bowl quarterbacks? Oh, is this it? Oh, yeah, here it is. I'm writing it on the back of it. See, I wasn't even looking. Wait, where? What were you asking? Josh Sweat is 17th. So the Eagles have. 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. So out of the top 17, they have 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. They have 11 to 6 in the top 17. Because the Eagles roster is loaded. They're loaded. Yeah. How low is Indomitian Sue? He's not a starter. Right? Or it's every, yeah, it's just a starter, so he won't make it in there. Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, the fact of the matter is Joe Tooney should be lower than he is. That's outrageous to have him 10th. It's, it's, it's outrageous. I, Creed Humphrey, I said it, I, I have that right, but it's three. They have the top three. And if you add from, from payers four to 17, it's 11 to three Eagles. From players 4 to 17, 11 to 3. All right, when we come back, we're going to talk about that loaded roster with Omar Ruiz. He is embedded with the Eagles down in Arizona. I want to know what that I, – I like that word embedded, but what does that actually mean for Omar? Does that mean he, he goes to every meeting? What's he actually doing with the Eagles? Well, I mean, embedded means – He's in their your, hotel. Your, your assignment is you're, no, you're I wanna, covering I'm gonna get the, to the Eagles this week. I'm going to get to the bottom of this embedment. All right, when we come back, Omar Ruiz joins the show here on Clean Browns Daily, brought to you by Bally Bet. 
Cleveland Browns Daily brought to you by BallyBet. Coming soon to Ohio on 850 ESPN Cleveland. There's a new way to cheer on your Cleveland Browns with the help of your favorite four-legged companion, Barking Backers. Presented by Milkbone is the Browns' newest club for pet parents worldwide. Sign up today at BarkingBackers.com. Barking Backers, the fan club for dogs. All right, we go back to the hotline, and we are joined by NFL Network's Omar Ruiz via the Twisted Tea Hotline, brought to you by Twisted Tea Hard Ice Tea, an official sponsor of the Cleveland Browns. Keep it twisted, Cleveland. Omar is embedded with the Eagles for Super Bowl 57, and Omar, when I hear that, it just sounds so fancy and highfalutin and also mysterious. What does it mean to be embedded with the Eagles? Well, it's a fun team to be around. Uh, I have a lot of affection for the Eagles fan base. Actually, I was comparing it to the Browns fan base uh, recently and just that they're just so passionate uh, yeah. year in and year out. There's a lot of passionate fan bases out there, um, but th- there are a few that even when they're lousy, they continue to make the team relevant. I think, you know, there, there's fan bases that are that are equally loud and proud, you know, when things are good. When things aren't good, they'll let you know, and I, I think that's the commonality that, that the Eagles and the Browns have and, you know, some of the other great fan bases. Uh, in the country. So it's number one, it's great to be a part of it. The personalities in that locker room, you know, having covered that Super Bowl 52 run they made a few years ago and, and some of those key players still around and Kelsey and Lane Johnson and sure. Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham, those guys are, you know, just, just fun players to be around. They, they um, you know, wear their personalities on their sleeve and the emerging players like Jalen Hurst that we've seen over the last couple of years, it's a, it's a fun team to be around. So cool atmosphere here in Arizona. Glad to be back. Uh, at Super Bowl kind of in a more normal setting with, you know, international sure. media here and, and the craziness. So, uh, so it's been a lot of fun so far, and, and we're barely halfway home here. Yeah, and Omar, you mentioned it is a fun team, but this is kind of in some ways a historic matchup. You know, Andy Reid once took this Eagles team to the Super Bowl. Now he's the coach on the other side. Has there been – is that something that is I – mean, I would imagine players, because many of these guys never played for Andy Reid, would be discussed internally, but is that something that's kind of not lost on the Eagles organization, that this is Andy Reid, you know, against the Eagles? Yeah, there's a lot of, you know, obviously nostalgia there when they sure. talk about Andy Reid, a lot of great affection for Andy Reid. And, you know, one of the things I, I thought was interesting um, early in the week when I had a chance to talk to Coach Reid on Monday night uh, at opening night was, uh, you know, the common thread he had with the Kelsey brothers in that, you know, Travis and Jason Kelsey, you know, that storyline is, you know, one of the biggest yep. in the Super Bowl. You just you just let off, you know, asking about Andy Reid going against Philadelphia. That's one of the biggest storylines in the Super Bowl. But the fact that he drafted Jason in 2011 as a member of the Eagles and, and the fantastic career that Jason Kelsey has had, you know, potential Hall of Famer. And then he yep. goes to Kansas City uh, after being let go. And, and you know, he, he threw Jason. He knew about Travis and even got to meet Travis in November of 2012 when he was still coaching the Eagles. Jason went to Philly. Uh, you know, they're in town already. Cincinnati was playing Temple college matchup. Andy Reid's kids were playing at Temple. So they all met and hang out and and, of course, a few months later then, Andy Reid would draft Travis Kelsey into the NFL. So that commonality there is just so cool. And Andy Reid's imprint, you know, still on the organization. And, and I think it's just, you know, obviously, like you mentioned, uh, most of the players never played for Andy Reid. But, but it is one of those cool fit factors 
when you talk about this Super Bowl and, and one of the ones that's deservingly getting a lot of attention? One of the storylines that I think is getting too much attention, in my opinion, is that the Eagles didn't play anybody to get here. They're good, <laughs> and they smoked a lot of people that you would say, all right, if they're, if they're that good, they should smoke these teams. Well, they did, 38-7 to over the Giants, 31-7 to over the Niners. You go back into the season, some of the, the big games that they had, they were able to you know, come out on top and, and put beatings on teams. No, what, is that give them, I would imagine, it's something they're going to use to be like a little chip on their shoulder, right? Is that nobody believes in us. They're saying it was so easy. And even, you know, some of the 49ers. <laughs> and I'm a, I grew up in the Bay Area. I'm a, a Niners guy. Yeah. Some sour grapes right there, right, from the Niners. It didn't work out. Obviously, it was an unfortunate way that game unfolded. But that's football. It happens. Uh, what, is, that, is that something that's kind of a rallying cry for this Eagles team? Yeah, no question about it. And I think, you know, publicly they're – probably a little more mature than, you know, to, to say that. Um, but, yeah, you can tell that, you know, they are a highly motivated group and, and, you, know, and you know, maybe use the chip on their shoulder internally. But but to your point, I think the Eagles are a fantastic team. And I, I just remember early on covering them. I covered them week three in Washington. It was a game where they had nine sacks on Carson Wentz yep. and just completely dominant. I think they were up 28 nothing at the half or, you know, something along those lines. And that was the week after – they just smoked Minnesota on Monday yep. night football uh, in Philly. And, and that was a week after Minnesota had dominated um, Green Bay in week one. So everybody was thinking, okay, well, Minnesota is going to be for real this year. And, and, and Philly completely, completely humiliates them. Well, they had some injury, bad luck, like every team in the NFL does. Um, they stumbled down the stretch with Jalen Hurts. And I think we forget about how loaded they were in that middle run when it was sort of, you know, the dog days of the NFL season. But, but they are as talented as anybody in, in, in the NFL. I, I think they're more talented top to bottom than Kansas City. But, you know, obviously Mahomes is the ultimate difference maker. But, but that Philadelphia roster is loaded, and they have all 22 starters that'll be, um, that they started the season with in week one. They'll be at their disposal there in the Super Bowl, and, and there's no shortage of motivation there. And it's so funny, Nathan, you've, you've been around the NFL such a long time now. You know that, you know, even uh, – you know, Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady, they, they find chips on their shoulder and, and sure. points of disrespect as good as they've been. And, and that's one of the ones that the Eagles, I'm sure, have heard about. And we'll uh, try to remind people uh, not to take them lightly here on Sunday. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, heck, even the great Michael Jordan in basketball was still airing <laughs> grievances in his Hall of Fame induction speech, and he was still calling people out that had slighted him uh, throughout his career. And Let's well, talk about but, this. But, Go ahead. Well, real quick, just to, to your point, though, for, for, you know, that narrative that is out there that they didn't play anybody, I think you hit it on the button, though. But then they, they dominated those games, you know. Yep. And, and the NFL, there's such a thin line, and, and we've talked about parity, you know, the way it's structured nowadays, that everything is supposed to be closed and these teams are supposed to be tied together. Well, they did blow people out and, and absolutely dominate, um, even if, you know, the, the team was a quote-unquote, uh, you know, losing team. So, um, so yeah. So I think the Eagles are for real, and, and they'll they'll show up to play on Sunday. Yeah, no, no doubt in my mind. Talk with Omar Ruiz covering the Eagles for NFL Network as we get ready here for the Super Bowl. Let's start on the offensive side of the ball. That great offensive line, but all eyes in this game, fairly or perhaps even unfairly, are going to be on Jalen Hurts. And Jalen Hurts, a phenomenal season, throwing it, twenty-two touchdowns, sixty-seven percent completions, great year, running it over seven hundred yards, thirteen scores on the ground. They only lost one game with him, fourteen and one with him as a starter. He take the playoff games now, sixteen and one with Jalen Hurts. What's kind of been his 
his mindset, his mentality, obviously a tremendous leader, but this is the biggest game of his you know, career, and in many ways a lot of people are looking at it as somewhat of a referendum on him, not just the Eagles. Yeah, I think that's one of the key matchups. I think number one for me is, is the Eagles' pass rush against Pat Mahomes, and I think number two is, is this one, Jalen Hurts versus that Kansas City defense and, and specifically that young secondary because, you know, we've seen throughout the year – and, and Jalen Hurts, you know, I think he struck a balance where he is not uh, afraid to throw into tight windows and he trusts his receivers, A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, to make those plays. But at the same time, when you do that, you give the defense an opportunity to make a play on the ball uh, in their own right and, and perhaps, you know, go the turnover route. And so, sure. you know, I think that'll be the, the key. You know, can the Chiefs make plays on the ball? unlike most teams have done this year in the NFL against the Eagles. And, and Jalen Hurts certainly has taken care of the ball in addition to all those fantastic numbers. And, and obviously his, his uh, ability to run, you know, puts defenses at bay as well. But, but yeah, you know, can those young Kansas city chiefs who, who, who stepped up, you know, they were banged up against Joe Burrow sure. that second half of the Bengals and they stepped up to their credit. Um, you know, was that an anomaly and can they do it again against Jalen Hurts? I think that'll be one of the key, the key matchups to watch on Sunday. Is Miles Sanders the most overlooked 1,300-yard back with 11 touchdowns and five yards of carry in, in recent memory? <laughs> I, I would say, yeah, because, you know, I still, even for me, you know, covering this team, you know, as closely as I have, I still think of them as a running back by committee type of thing because, yeah. you know, Boston Scott and Kenneth Gainwell, they make such large contributions to the team, and that, that's a credit to, you know, the running backs coach, Jamal Singleton, does a great job there. Their offensive coordinator, Shane Steichen, and Nick Sirianni, just the complete buy-in that they all have that, yes, Miles Sanders is, you know, the sort of star there, um, doesn't get enough credit. And, and really, he, ever since his rookie year when, you know, they, they started yeah. that rebuild, you know, if you want to call it that, he, he came on the scene um, pretty explosively and, and has been fairly consistent, you know, when he's been healthy. And, uh, and yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. He is overlooked and um, – but, but the, you know, the sense I get from the Eagles team, and you can maybe say there's other players like Josh Sweat, who is, you know, a great talent, a pass rusher, doesn't get enough credit because of all those big names they have, you know, rushing the football. I don't get a sense that they care about that. I mean, they, they and, and that's a credit to Sirianni, the complete buy-in that these guys have. And, and uh, you know, they just care about the wins and, and let the credit fall where it may. But um, it's a special group, again. But to your point, Miles Sanders is a, a tremendous talent. And yeah, you got to be you know thirteen hundred yards and eleven touchdowns—the most quiet numbers uh, I think in the NFL this season. Seriously, talking with Omar Ruiz covering the Eagles for NFL Network as they get ready for the Super Bowl. In the passing game, it's AJ Brown, it's Devontae Smith, it's Dallas Goddard. It combined for about thirty-four hundred yards, twenty-one touchdowns, despite Goddard missing five games. I mean, you know what you're going to get—the ball's going to be in the hands of Sanders. Yeah, sure. Sometimes Scott and Gainwell will get in there, and when they throw it, it's pretty much going to Goddard, Brown, or Devontae Smith. Uh, it's a loaded offensive skill group right there, but how about these pass catchers and how they challenge, as you mentioned, that young secondary of the Kansas City Chiefs, and in particular, what a move to get A.J. Brown into the fold. 1,500 yards, 11 touchdowns, 17 yards a catch. Yeah, what a way to introduce himself to Philadelphia. And, yep. and I think, you know, A.J. Brown and the relationship that he has with Jalen Hurts, you know, one of the key, you know, because the leadership, the intangibles, all that was, was clearly evident all the way going back to Alabama and how he handled the switch at halftime in the national championship game and, and Tua coming on and going to Oklahoma. 
all of that we knew about from an intangible, from a leadership perspective with Jalen Hurts. But the bottom line was, you know, can he play in the NFL at an elite level? And, and because of A.J. Brown, he's certainly shown that he's capable of it this year. And, and kind of like what you mentioned a, you know, a few questions ago, the sort of referendum on him and, you know, can he win the Super Bowl now in the biggest game? And it'll come down to, you know, does A.J. Brown, does Devontae Smith, can they make those plays that they've made all year long in the biggest moments? And, you know, how tight will those windows be? You know, how, you know, athletic and acrobatic, you know, are they going to have to make these catches? How tight will the coverage be, you know, from the Chiefs? You know, can they scheme them up to to catch and run and and get the the yak yards? Are they going to have to go up and get the ball? A lot of questions there with that. That'll all go on those pass catchers. But, you know, I I love Dallas Goddard. You mentioned Dallas Goddard, you know. Me too. Against, you know, arguably one of the greatest tight ends in, in NFL history and Travis Kelsey, but you know, Goddard's like, I'm in that group too, man. You know, don't discount me. And, you know, there's a lot of confidence, a lot of swagger in that team. You know, they're not, not necessarily brash or cocky or arrogant, but you know, they are full of confidence and, and Dallas Goddard included. Well, yeah, you put up over 10 yards a target. You're pretty elite. And for a while it was, you know, Mark Andrews fell off as the season went over, but it was Kelsey, it was Andrews and it was Goddard. I mean, especially people who play fantasy football, Dallas Goddard was bringing, bringing it before he suffered his injury that cost him five games this year. Omar, before we get you out of here, we got to talk about this defense, 70 sacks. It's continued in the playoffs. Hassan Reddick on a tear. Four guys with double-digit sacks this season. You know, they got great corners. Gardner Johnson had the six picks. This team is loaded. They're fun to watch. It's rare that a team is fun to watch play defense, but this Eagles team is fun to watch because of their relentless pursuit of the quarterback and somebody's going to have a one-on-one somewhere. Does just the numbers add up to it? Yeah, and I love how they distribute the workload and they try to keep their guys fresh. Um, Jonathan Gannon, defensive coordinator, and, and the staff there, they do a great job just keeping the guys coming in waves, and, and that's what they've pinpointed can be their advantage. Because theoretically, you know, the offensive line is going to play the same five throughout the game. So if you can come in in two or three waves from a defensive line to pass rush perspective, then obviously you can wear down the offense, and that's kind of wh- where they focus, and that's where they think their advantage is, and, and obviously they've proven that with all those sack numbers. I think they're five away. If they get five on Patrick Mahomes on Sunday, they'll, they'll break the vaunted 85 Bears record of most wow. sacks ever in a season when you factor in the playoffs. But, you know, there's a lot of talent there, and you mentioned the, the 49ers and the Sour Grapes a little earlier. You know, a lot of people thought, oh, well, you know, they just didn't have the quarterback, and, you know, had they had the quarterback, maybe things would have been different. But I'm not so sure because that pass rush was coming, and they were coming all day long, and, and obviously oh, yeah. nobody roots for injuries. They're not trying to hurt the quarterback, but it was because that pass rush is so relentless, as you mentioned. They are so ferocious that the quarterbacks got hurt, unfortunately. And, um, you know, they'll be coming from Mahomes, and Mahomes obviously, you know, big, strong, physical guy, you know, can make the throws even when he got defenders hanging off of him. So it would be an interesting matchup if Mahomes can still make those magical plays against that ferocious pass rush. Like I said earlier, I think that's going to be, you know, the story of the game. You know, can, like that pass rush for the Eagles did in Super Bowl 52 against Tom Brady late in the game, Brandon Graham comes up with a strict sack. If they can make that play late in the game on Mahomes, I think, or not, that'll be the difference, you know, because I think it'll be tight all the way throughout, and it's, you know, whichever defense can come up with the stop uh, at the end will be the difference. It's going to be a fun one. The number one seed in the AFC, the number one seed in the NFC, neither team has lost with their starting quarterback in forever, and somebody, something's <laughs> got to give. The irresistible force mean the immovable object. Omar, have a great time down there in the Valley of the Sun, and uh, enjoy the Super Bowl on Sunday. 
All right. Thank you, Nathan. Great to talk to you as always, man. Likewise, man. Always a pleasure. The great Omar Ruiz. Again, he was brought to us by the via the Twisted Tea Hard IC Hotline, an official sponsor of the Cleveland Browns. Keep it twisted. Cleveland, final thoughts when we come back. But actually, so much more to come here on Cleveland Browns Daily, brought to you by BallyBet. Cleveland Browns Daily brought to you by BallyBet. Coming soon to Ohio on 850 ESPN Cleveland. All right, folks. We inch closer to the Super Bowl. Only two more shows to go, Gibbe, before the last football Slow game of the season. Starting to pick up a little pace. Uh, we're picking up some pace, no doubt about it. Uh, speaking of, tomorrow. Big day tomorrow. Big day. First, Gerard will be joining us from Arizona. We'll do some prop bets. He will be live down there at the Super Bowl. He'll join us. And then Jim Schwartz, 2 o'clock, 2 p.m. Set your, set your alarms. 2 p.m. tomorrow, live, in studio. In studio. In studio. Jim Schwartz, the Browns' new defensive coordinator, will make his CBD debut. Hey, tomorrow we'll talk about Roger Goodell saying the reality is our officials' uh, uh, officiating's never been better. Take I uh, we'll take a third. I'd throw if I had a red flag to throw, I would throw it on that statement. I would challenge that statement yep. made by Roger Goodell. I think the officiating has been dreadful, and it, it they just they got to get them full time. They've got to clean this up. Too much is at stake, especially now with all the gambling. There's just so much at stake with the officiating. Get the calls right. You got all the cameras. You got all the angles. Let's get all this stuff right. Jim Schwartz tomorrow. Gerard Cherry tomorrow. For Gibbe, I'm Nathan Zagura saying thanks for listening to Cleveland Browns Daily, brought to you by BallyBet, coming soon to Ohio. The next level is next here on ESPN Cleveland. You've been listening to Cleveland Browns Daily, a production of the Cleveland Browns and 850 ESPN Cleveland.